Hello, and welcome to the Coach Conversations podcast, the podcast where coaches have conversations about all things coaching. I'm your host, Brendan Laleve, and today's guest is Liz Tilly from Liz Tilly Coaching. Welcome, Liz. Hi there. How are you? Yeah, well, thank you. Excited to have a conversation with you today and hear about your coaching and how you got to where you are. And I thought today we might start with, how did you find coaching? Oh, that's, uh, I don't even know whether I can answer that in a quick way. There's a long story behind it. Um, I had, my background is communications. I studied to be a journalist, worked in television for 10 years, then moved into public relations, uh, working for large not-for-profits and then doing consultancy work when my kids were little. I've got three kids. And I had always wondered about, what might be next for me. I'd always liked, you know, inverted commas, helping people. And when you do work in the comm space, there is actually a lot of conversations that are coaching conversations. You know, what's the message you want to get out? How do you want to appear to the public? What's the identity that you want to project? You know, I didn't realise it then, but I realise that now. Um, So I had been thinking about that in 2003, Uh, my husband and I and our three kids lost our home in the bushfires in Canberra. And my husband and I got, my sister-in-law took the kids. My husband and I got trapped in our house. Um, We were one of the first streets that it hit. And we didn't, well, I actually didn't think we were going to get out uh, because of how intense it was around our area. We didn't have any aerial water bombing. We didn't have any fire engines because the fire was so intense they couldn't get to us so we were were virtually alone in the house until we made a run for it and managed to get out I think we were in the house for about an hour Um, and there was a moment in that where I was standing in the hallway looking at the there were like snow drifts of ash across the carpet and I pulled the heavy curtains down and the cedar windows would act, were actually smouldering and starting to catch. And I was saying to my husband and to my brother-in-law and nephew who were also with us, um, we need to start getting down on the floor. We're gonna, we, the smoke is going to kill us. But there was one moment where I just stood still and I, rem- I still remember it clear as anything. And I thought, oh, Wow is this how it happens? Like, this is the day that you die. Like, you don't get a letter. You don't get a premonition of doom or anything. It just happens. And I think now as I look back on it that that was a really pivotal moment because it made me think, I don't want to stuff around. I really want to do work that's meaningful to me. So fast forward. And I was working on the Defence Abuse Response Task Force that was set up um, to address issues of defence, sorry, issues in defence around historical sexual abuse. And I was working on the Restorative Engagement Program where we, it was the first time it had been done in an institutional setting where we had complainants to the task force had the opportunity to sit with a senior leader from defence to tell their story, have the senior leader from defence listen and in many cases apologise. It was a really amazing program and 
part of my role was setting up and training the facilitators. We had 40 facilitators, some of the best facilitators from around Australia, and a lot of them were mediators. And we brought them to Canberra to train them. And I had been looking at different coaching. I've been toying with the idea of coaching, but nothing really resonated with me. And on the first night where we had the facilitators there, I was sitting next to a woman called Ro Sandberg, who's now an MCC coach. Um, and Ro does process work. And she was telling me, she just come back from Warsaw about this amazing, they do this thing called world work. And she was telling me about it and it's a big group process. And she said, we're at, at different points, you can move from one point of view in the room and cross the room to stand with another group. And she was saying at one point, there was a, a, a guy stood in the, the middle of the room and said, and I think that which I can't remember exactly what the topic was. It was around peace and, and working together. And he stood, this guy stood in the middle of the room and pointed at the earth and said, you have to understand that the earth that we stand on carries the blood of 13 different nationalities. And it gave me, still gives me chills. And, and that story gave me chills at the time. And then when I was talking to Rose, she said, oh, and I'm about to start the first course, I think, in the world um, of coaching based around process work. And immediately I just went, that's a course I want to do that because of the depth of the work and I was in the first cohort of coaches um, in 2014 and now I coach mentor on that training <laughs> so I, I don't know whether that that's a long answer to that question Brendan yeah but you know a good answer and an informative one lots of uh, yeah I, I like some of the symbolism and the, the story that you're telling there and you know very pleased that you you managed to get through the house fire, obviously, and, and had that realisation around, well, what's the important work I want to do here? And I think stop stuffing around with the words you used. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I think that does underpin what coaching does. It allows people time to stop stuffing around, like basically, really, and get to the heart of the matter and what they really want, the life that they really want. And I don't want anyone else to have to stand in a burning house to get that realisation because you can get it so easily through coaching. Yeah. Yeah, I've just, just started my journey with uh, Ro and doing probably a similar course to the one that, that you were just talking about as, as something else to add into my coaching experience. And uh, in, the, in the few dealings that I've had with Ro, I always think, man, that got deep quick. Or you know, that's really interesting how she managed to, to make something that could be quite controversial, quite easy to talk about. And so I'm, I'm hoping some of that rubs off in the wow. conversations I get to have with, with her. And it's always great to have the opportunity to see experienced coaches work. I think it's just like, oh, there just continues to be, to be layers. And was reminded of that earlier in the week. I, I ran a coaching skills for leaders like day workshop which I really enjoy doing and I love doing and you know just you know effectively we kind of get to the point where like here's some questions uh, 
grow model, go and ask them of each other. And they go, oh, that was really useful. You know, I got a lot out of that. And I was like, yeah, yes, that's right. And then they, they inevitably say, is that what you do? Do you just sit there with a list of questions and just rattle them off one after the other? No, there's a little more finesse to it over time <laughs> and you build your capability. But, you know, that, that much of it will work for you. It will get you an outcome. But, you know, as you work through it, you... Like, oh, maybe this question, or maybe in this way, or or maybe no question, which I think is also an interesting mm-hmm. insight with the way the conversations play out. Can I, can I just go back to something you said? Yes. About experienced coaches. So, <laughs> A, you're an experienced coach. Correct. B, I don't, I don't like that term. And i tell you why. Because I think... A lot of people that come to coaching usually come to it as a second career and they have a huge toolkit that they bring with them. A lot of people that come to coaching have a dispensation to that way of working anyway. And so a lot of people come to coaching already deeply experienced and I see, particularly, particularly as a, when I coach mentor, that there are, I think that the, what makes a, a coach, I don't even like using the word experienced, what makes a coach a really impactful coach is a whole different thing and experience is part of the picture. But getting, and I think it's work, that I continually am doing is noticing your own, the things that press your buttons, that noticing when you tip into problem solving and you can feel that or noticing, you know, and seeking supervision or mentoring around that, that's experience. Yeah. Thanks for picking me up on that language. Cause it's not, not helpful language, is it? Yeah, every, I like that that view of everyone is experienced just some have more experience with it, you know, using a coaching approach or more impactful in their, their coaching approach. You know, I find there is often a lot that, you know, reflecting on previous to coach training, I was like, I was using a lot of this stuff. I just didn't know I was using it. And so I wasn't as effective with it because sometimes it would work and sometimes it similar stuff wouldn't. And now that there's, you know, a bit more intent behind it, which I think, you know, is back to stop stuffing around. Let's have some intent. Um, is that our theme, stop stuffing around? It's forming as a theme very early, isn't it? Uh, you know, that there is greater impact from the the, the application of those skills. Yeah. Yeah. And, and not to undermine, of course, you learn and you develop and you grow. And, of course, the skills that someone as an MCC coach, they're going to have a... Uh, uh, depth and a, a toolkit that's bigger. I'm sure you know you've changed. The way I coach now is really different to the way I coach when I first started. Yeah, there's something to be said for two and a half thousand plus hours of coaching that oh, MCCs God, yeah. have to get. Completely, completely, completely. I remember, you know, starting off and just like, how do I get a hundred hours for ACC? Mm, I'm wondering if the word is practiced. Potentially practiced because I found that first hundred 
it took me, it felt like it took me a long time to get that hundred in the bank. And then I sort of almost turned around and, you know, I was at the 500 required for the PCC credential and, you know, like reflecting on how you coach from then to now is, or how I coach from then to now is, I learned a lot in that, you know, time in the, in the seat, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you obviously PCC credentialed as well. What did you learn across the, the journey to becoming and, and obtaining that credential? Um, I think the professional development, I think you learn all the time. The professional development that I've done, I um, did last year uh, Tara Moore's training, playing big facilita- facilitator training which has really changed how I coach. And I'm actually doing it again this year. It was so fantastic. Um, I am doing it again this year as an alumni, which you can do. And I think all of the things that I've done in professional development, I've done a lot of work with Michael Grinder um, when he was coming out from the States uh, around nonverbal communication, because I work a lot with women in leadership. That was the missing piece, I think, for me, uh, because that's a really powerful way to change the way that you communicate and you have impact. Um, and also the conflict management coaching that I did. I actually did conflict, study conflict management coaching before I, I'd started my coaching, but I hadn't finished my training as a coach. And I use a lot of those skills are transferable to the coaching I do on the regular. But I think over the, the years I have, learn to trust the process so deeply uh, and trust my client, trust my client that they know the way, that I don't, I'm not there to, which sounds sounds weird that it's, I would even still say this, but I'm not there to solve problems. I'm not there to fix it. Um, but I think that was probably something that I had to work on because there was a part of me that, you know, deeply wants to do that make the world a better place. So that was part of my personal development. But I think I've changed a lot. I think um, that certainly the tools that I use, I do a lot of blending of the different things that I've learned and certainly my deeper work with women. Often the sessions are conducted with the client closing their eyes for a lot of it. I'm working at a really getting a state change and then keeping them there and coaching from the state change. And it's really efficient. It's really efficient. And using guided visualisation to get in there. And I think you just build your confidence as you go. I don't know where to go from that. Where do I go from that? (laughs) Ask a coaching question. There's so much in there, but, you know, I think you, you said earlier, the, the bit, one of the bits that sort of jumped out was you're like, oh, before I finished my coach training, and I think to myself, I don't know if I'll ever be finished with my coach training. No, I, well, <laughs> my initial, the one that got me the uh, my ICF credential. <laughs> um, no, and I don't want to ever stop learning. Yeah, that's I love it. I love about this is just keep learning. I learn something about myself or about others or about, organizational systems every time I step into a coaching conversation I find and it's a huge tick for me because I you know prior to finding this work I really didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up I sort of just bounced around between stuff because it 
looked fun. The people were nice. I got to have an impact. I learned something that was, you know, uh, consistent. And, uh, you know, the money was okay. That was kind of the criteria I was unconsciously dealing with. And then found coaching and went, okay, this is it. Now, now where do I go with this? Where do I have my, how do I achieve the purpose that I'd like to now that I've sort of found what it is? So. I'm interested about that, actually, because I feel like I've come back to the place that I first started in coaching. I first started, and Roy reminded me of it recently, actually. When I first started coaching, I wanted to work with women and I wanted to find a way to integrate the deeper spiritual work that I did with coaching. And then I think I, when I started my business, I got a bit distracted about what I should do, again, inverted commas, air quotes, what I should do and the business model and living in Canberra and the uh, largely public sector. That I, you know, I felt there was a mould that I had to fit into. Or that, and, and, and not that I didn't enjoy that. I have loved doing that, but I am really now coming back to actually I want to do deeper work. I want to work with clients over a longer period and I want to um, do circle work, bringing women and potentially men together in circle, which is very ancient. But I'm curious for you whether, because I know a bit about your journey with the dad coaching and the corporate sector, whether that's a similar trajectory to you where did where did you what was the aspiration you start with and started with and where are you now yeah I, th I think it continues to grow and change uh, uh, the dad coaching stuff you know obviously there's a lot of personal experience of you know being a dad myself and, and being a stay-at-home dad and you know sort of having this this massive values sometimes I think it's a shift sometimes I think it's just an awareness that that sort of grew you know, I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. You know, then I found it, but I didn't pursue it quite as heavily as I probably could have. And then I became a dad and it's like, okay, everything just got bigger uh, and more important. You know, how do I role model to, you know, at the time, my son, now I've got two. Um, so now sons, what it means to have a job and or you know a passion a, a purpose that you fulfill rather than you know you know what I've been doing previously which was just having a nine to five and and I think you know those two things aren't exclusionary you can you can be passionate about your nine to five definitely and um and there's other ways that other people work and 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 achieve that but the dad coaching what I what I found is you know, the reason that started was new dad's were coming to coaching usually from a corporate sort of background and saying you know what I don't really like working full-time I want to go part-time or I want to be a stay-at-home dad and I don't know how to have that conversation here or you know I, I want to go and study because I've recognized that I've got this values thing how do I put you know study on top of full-time work on top of new parent or anything in between I just I was like, there's, there's obviously something here. There's obviously like a values awareness piece that goes with becoming a dad or other major life change. Cause I think we're probably seeing similar as we exit pandemic, which are, you know, we'll explore in a second. So how do I create a space for others to have an easier path to whatever it is they would like to do to realize their values than, than maybe I went through. 
And, you know, that work, when I get to do it, it always, it always is so fulfilling to, to see the change and the realization of how and the recognition of why. Um, and, and probably my, you know, one of the greatest successes that I've had in that space and reflect on was there's a, a, a dad that, I did some work with and he used to, he had this motto of thank God it's Monday because I get to go to work and, you know, be a professional and it's quiet and you know, I've got control of everything and you know, I can drink a cup of coffee while it's still warm and you know, all, all of those things. And, and we did some work and then he's like, oh, thanks, that's been really useful. And, and, you know, he drifted off into whatever he was going to do next. And I bumped into him in a cafe uh, probably you know, 18 months, two years after that. And I was like, hey, how you going? I haven't seen you for ages. He's like, yeah, I'm really good. Uh, my wife's pregnant with my second, or our second, and, you know, really excited about that. And, you know, my little one's you know, four now or whatever she was. And, uh, you know, now I live by, thank God it's Monday because I have Mondays off and I get to spend it with my kid. Like, uh, so like this huge shift of... um perspective on the situation he's like so i'm part-time i absolutely love it you know i get to we get to hang out and i think what it like how big an impact has that coaching had on that family you know that dynamic that relationship the people that see that and the, and the changes that that come from that you know the little you know, pebble in the middle of the lake and the ripples sort of flow out it's like okay so this there is a purpose to this work that is deeper than mm. what I was doing previously for me I'm, I'm able to achieve a bigger purpose here so yeah, yeah I love that story I, and I I think there is a a really I'd say because I do coach mentoring on a couple of different for coach training courses and also on the um, synergy conflict management coaching I see a lot of other coaches um some of them are at the beginning of their journey some of you know people who i was almost at experience then some are, are practiced coaches that have been doing it for a, quite a while uh and i something that has me very curious is the role of coaches and coaching as change agents in the world that we find ourselves in now and there's something there around being really almost coaching yourself or seeking out external coaching to really find your area, you know, be the change that you want to see in the world. Because I think the more that we do that as coaches, the bigger impact that we have. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for creating the space for that story to come out. I reflect fondly on that too. Mm. How do you find that, you know, what are the general themes that, that women are coming up with in your coaching sessions? I'm intrigued to hear. Well, Brendan, funny you should ask because <laughs> I'm at a big period of reflecting on that and and the role of women in leadership as separate to structural change and systemic change. And I had a conversation with a friend who's actually just doing her level three coach training at the moment, who does works a lot in her full-time job with women um, in a in sector that 
where there's a high, a low level of women in the sector. And I was saying, I've really been questioning how women in leadership and working with women, whether that's actually creating a bigger divide and where does gender non-binary fit into that? How, how can it be a more exclusive space? And I do a fair bit of public speaking at, um, you know, women in leadership conferences and events. Uh, and they're so rich and there's such amazing women there. And the conversations are often very candid. And the people that really need to hear them, which are the senior males within organisation, aren't there to hear it. Women are still bringing the sort of stuff that I was struggling with. Um, and I've, I've actually just started working on an article called the EL2 blockage because we work in Canberra and we're working predominantly with the public sector. EL2 is sort of like the upper level of middle management. And what I see repeatedly is really fantastic, smart, capable, agile, creative um, dedicated women working at the level underneath that who say who self-select out of EL2 because there is zero or very little flexibility around hours around family and they just say I, I can't do it so there's this huge drain of expertise and it's never going to change at a senior level unless we can get women up to that middle management level and support them to do it. And I, I love, I know we've had conversations before about the role of men there and the system doesn't support men necessarily to work flexibly and part-time. And unless the system changes around that, then we're not going to get overall system change. Um, and I do think post-pandemic, a lot of the structures that we've had in our society are starting to dissolve, crumble, erode. And it's a great opportunity to build new structures. And I'm, I don't know, I, I feel a, I felt a bit disillusioned lately that that opportunity is not being seized. Where, you know, there's a bit of a returning. It, it is in some sectors. Um, and the move to a hybrid working of model, model of working from home and in the office, I think is going to be fantastic and really open up lots of possibilities. But what else? That's my question. What else? I love that question. I know that's you know, been said before by me, but I think that is, that is such a good question to ask. And, you know, I remember we went to the, the Annabelle Crab um, International mm -hmm. Women's Day breakfast, you know, when we were allowed to meet in the same building as other people and, and had the the you know, pleasure to hear her talk about some of the statistics and some of the you know, research that had been done and what other countries overseas are doing with regards to creating opportunities for dads to be at home and, and for mums to you know return to work or, or do more work or what have you and uh, you know I kind of can't wait so hope that that happens sooner rather than later mm. or easier to access sooner rather than later because uh, it just there's wind for everyone then um, yeah completely and you know there's a lot of you know often people talk about imposter syndrome uh, there's a recent article in the Harvard Business Review talking about the fact that it's not imposter syndrome that it's in fact the structures and there's there's foundational reasons behind that um, and the structures that support that 
that don't just don't support women to step up and really be all they can be in the workplace and um mm, that, that that puts me in a an interesting position you know how do you work within the system as a coach without becoming part of the system mm. how do you stay outside it that's a really interesting one <laughs> yeah yeah, I, I, unfortunately, I don't have an answer for you. Oh, uh, damn. I was really hoping. Um, <laughs> Maybe I think someone listening will and they can drop it in the Facebook group or send me an email. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 see it, I see it in other coaches as well. You know, there's that tension we hold when you work for an organisation that's paying your bills. I mean, I, the older I get, the more I actually don't do this but I think when I was younger I there's a tendency to go along with the, the organization and the way they wanted to do things and I you know I would push back tentatively I'm pretty strong about pushing back now you know that's actually not going to work you know, if we're going to if you're going to get me on this is this is the structure that's going to work and if that's not the structure then probably not the right job for me mm. Which I think is, it, it seems to be a almost a business maturity thing as well from what people I've spoken with and to, you know, within and outside of the, the this podcast uh, around, you know, early days, it's sort of like just say yes to anything that's going to give you money because you're just trying to build and build and, and get things rolling and get experience. And then later on, it's just like, man, I'm not the right person for that. No. You know, I'm available, but that that's not, that's not the gig for me. I'm not the best person to be in that place. You should speak to is often where I land as well. Mm-hmm. And noting that, you know, there is that deep work that you're doing with, with the people that you're working with. How do you prepare yourself in order to be ready to give and, and go that deep with people? I do a meditation before every client. Um, sometimes it might only be five minutes, sometimes it's longer, uh, but I always do it. And there's something that I say, which is actually comes from Wayne Dyer, I think, um, but it reminds me to get out of my own way. And it's um, I, I actually, I have to look it up. I think it's actually like a prayer. Um, I'm here to be truly helpful. I'm here to represent that which sent me. I do not need to think about what to say or what to do because that which, which sent me will direct me. I'm happy just to be here, knowing that all grace is within me. I will be healed as I let the healing happen through me. Not that I think that I'm a healer necessarily, but I think there is a, and coaching is not a therapy, but there is a therapeutic aspect to it yeah definitely and and obviously this is audio only so people can't see that you manage to do that with your eyes closed so it is <laughs> when you say it's something you do regularly it, it, it's either written on the inside of your eyelids or it is <laughs> you do regularly. i do it and there's a lot in there that i quite like you know here to be helpful but and representing what sent you 
Like it's not, I'm here to solve problems. I'm here to fix people. I'm here to make sure that people can do exactly what they want. It's mm. And for me, that's sort of divine intelligence, whatever you call it, that, 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 I don't attach a religion to it, but that divine intelligence that orchestrates the world. Um, yeah, so that's what I do. And getting outside in nature, I think that's the, the thing that really grounds me. And if I want to really quickly ground myself in between clients, I'll go in outside and sit under a tree or just go outside and look at something in nature and really anchor myself. Yeah. Yeah, I've managed to find a bit of nature a bit closer to home than I thought I'd have to travel. So I was able to, I'm able to walk there, which is huge because that hadn't been the case um, until recently following house moves. And so, you know, this morning, you know, the, the, the boys are at a sleepover at parents-in-law and um, Simone was still asleep and I was like, I can sneak out, I can go for a walk. I can come back, I can eat my coffee, like drink my coffee and um, have breakfast in silence and just like really have some of that downtime, which has been challenging to find in recent times. Mm. And, you know, even though, you know, the option was there to, to stay in bed and sleep a little bit longer, I'm not sure I'd feel as refreshed as I do, you know, by taking that action instead this morning and getting out and there were people out walking their dogs or running their dogs and, yeah. What had lined up at the cafe across the road. I was like, okay, cool. It's, it's, uh... Yeah, and I think I, when I first started, I found like that time felt like a bit wasted time to me that I should be doing, that I should be building my business. And as I've developed and grown, I've realised that that time actually is coaching. If I'm going to turn up and be really empty, and not get hooked by anything, I really need to spend that time. Yeah, I think that's something I wish I'd been told earlier as well. Oh. Reading is work, like reading is coaching, yeah. study is coaching, uh, mindfulness is coaching, walking in nature is coaching. It, it, it all helps you to show up and, and, and to prepare and, and be there for and all of those things that we want to be and you know doing the opposite and just doing lots and lots of coaching is actually detrimental to a point because mm. burn yourself out and it's not just coaching it's actually that's that's business mm. that is how you build a business <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i remember i did some training with a, the rebecca campbell um she's got a couple of books light is a new black and rise sister rise and when I was first started coaching, I did a, a course with her and she's got a similar background to me and she worked in advertising as I did at one point. Um, and she said the best marketing that you can do for coaching or for your business, just generally for your business is meditation. And I've really held that because I know the more that I meditate, the more that I ground myself there's an alchemy to that where people go, oh, I want to work with her. Um, and it's not about Facebook posts and it's not about <laughs> Instagram and it's not about anything I've written. It's about the energy that I carry. And sometimes I'm better at doing that than the others. I've just come off a 
a tough year. My dad died, as you know, earlier this year and sorting through 59 years of accumulated stuff in the only family known home we've ever known remotely. I've actually taken time to do that. And I know that in the long run, that's good for the biz- my business because for me to try and juggle a lot of stuff and clients and hold that, I just couldn't, I didn't have the bandwidth for it, which felt hard, you know. There's my inner critics going, but you should be working more, you should be, you know. But I just trusted that deep voice within me that said, no, you need to give this time. Yeah, yeah and that's, you know, I think you've navigated that quite challenging period as as best you as you probably could and that's been quite inspirational like you say it, it attracts people and and i know that and i'm like that like i really like and admire that that liz is doing that she's taking the time and she's overcoming these boundaries and doing it virtually and you know all of these things that were probably not the way you you know would have expected that process to play out and 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 to do so while taking a pause in, in business as well where there is sort of this at times, you know, hustle mindset, you know, get up at 3am and drink 12 raw eggs and then go and run 10Ks and then put out 10,000 LinkedIn posts. I'm like, that's, no. that's not how I've managed to get business either. No, but there is, there is a, um, there is sometimes still that dynamic where you, you look at other people and you go, oh, they're doing better than me or how can they manage all of that? It's Brené, I love the quote from Brené Brown, um, comparison is the thief of joy and I suppose I coached myself a bit this year because I I could feel myself numbing it and numbing the grief and I've just let it come up which has been messy but you know if I was coaching someone else that's probably what we'd be working with so yeah sometimes it's messy sometimes it is messy yeah I love the mess yeah yeah which is actually, I feel like we're talking a lot about Ro. I might have to have her on. I, I did a, <laughs> an introductory sort of session to the course on Tuesday night and she did this visualisation exercise where effectively it was close your eyes, she said a, a little bit of stuff and then it was like open your eyes and what do you first notice? And and for me, what I noticed, I was like, I'll just pick out one thing and it'll have great symbolism and, and what have you, trust that process. And all I saw was a whole bunch of mess. And so I was thinking, oh, there's all this clutter around. You know, hopefully this program will help me get rid of some of the clutter. And she went, oh, I've got some bad news for you, Brendan. It's going to get messier before it gets cleaner. And I was just thinking, oh, okay. So that's what the symbol, like the the symbolism was right. Um, I just had the wrong read on it and, you know, learned to be a little more okay with the mess, which I might have to get Ro to have a conversation with my wife about because that probably isn't... If it's physical mess, that's not going to hold up. Oh, well, Ro said it's fine. That's not going to yeah. let um, Let's. Can we circle back to circle work, if you'll excuse the terrible dad joke and pun? <laughs> what What is circle work? Cause, oh, yeah, I should have really explained it. Oh, what is circle work? Circle work returns us to the way that communities and ancient communities have always come together, from ancient tribal communities to in Rome when they draw a group together, council together, they would sit and circle the knights of the round table. There's no power dynamic in a circle. Um, 
it's sort of it's a book I'm reading at the moment. I'm looking for it because I had it next to me before called Calling the Circle that I'm um, rereading at the moment. Um, also Priya Parker's book, um, uh, which is The Art of Gathering. So I'm looking at it on my my um, my bookshelf. There's a whole range of things out there. I'm very fascinated also with um, First Nations in Australia, Aboriginal way of gathering and deep listening, Dadiri. So it's a way of coming together to share stories in circle. So you hold a space and then there are different processes that you can use. But it means that you are in community together. So what I'm looking at doing is developing a problem. What I'm looking, I've started doing is pulling a program together where I work with women one-on-one, but also they are part of a circle. Because what I see repeatedly is women, particularly young women who've risen to sort of that middle, upper middle management, or even up to the higher levels of the senior executive within organisations, they're lonely. They don't have a lot of other people that they know that are working at the same level, that are do, dealing with the same issues that they're dealing with. Um, and the vision that I hold is that someone from the circle, someone from the group will be going into a big presentation or something they have to do and their phone starts pinging and they look at the phone and there's a whole bunch of messages from the women in their circle saying, you've got this, remember how awesome you are and that's the vision that I hold, that it's like this net of light holding you. So that's what I want to build. That's what I want to create. Um, and I have to say, as I talk about it, there's been a bit of resistance, if I'm really honest, and I've had coaching around it because of the deeper sort of spiritual work that I do, that I will be poo-pooed and not seen as a serious coach and that I'll be ostracized and seen as a weirdo and, um, you know, drummed out of town by the corporate sector, which is such an old story, but I've really had to work on it. I've really had to work on it. And now I think I'm ready. And, and I think there is also something about my dad passing. He wasn't very well for a number of years. He was 93. Um, I feel like a space has opened up and that this grief of losing my second parent there's quite a bit written about this, that when you lose your second parent, you step into your next iteration of being um, because you're no longer a son or a daughter. You're no longer a child of anyone. Uh, and I think also that I'm still stepping into my eldership, which I'm a bit resistant to because I still feel very young inside. But, I mean, 60 is looming, not that far away. And... There's been a lot of stuff, I, you know, and when you get to this age, you've seen a lot, you've done a lot <laughs> um, and really embracing that eldership. And I think part of it is this work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. My understanding is that elder is a role and a title, not an age as well. So you could yeah. split the two, right? Totally, totally. totally. Yeah. And certainly in First Nations culture it is. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, there's qualities you need to attain. 
hopefully I've obtained some of them. Um, but I'm also part of a, an amazing group. Um, it's hard to articulate what it is. It's actually a cooperative, but it's a community. I call it a community of practice. It's called The Grove. And it's a whole bunch of people doing different work in the world, but joining together. Um, I can't remember the, our exact, the exact words, but to honour our dark and our light and to work with nature to transform the world to, for what it's needed at the moment. Uh, and it's a pretty amazing group of people and we do a lot of working in circle. It's a consensus decision-making model. And that has been really interesting, hard, challenging, um, but wow, really transformative. Hmm. And at the, the risk of labeling something, and we're not going to turn this into a coaching session because you said you've oh. already had coaching. Now, it sounds like there's a little bit of a perfectionistic streak in there. Like, oh, this isn't coaching. This is not what coaching is. People will. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> the work that I start, I think work that I start, do always start with with women now is usually is around the voice of the inner critic. And the reason I'm so passionate about that work is because I have got a vicious inner critic such a perfectionist and I would like to say that I've nailed that but I would be totally lying mm -hmm. and the thing with the inner critic is that it comes up more strongly when you're going to step out of your comfort zone when you're going to step into something play bigger in some way and yeah I in a way it's sort of like oh hi pleased to see you I must be stepping out of my comfort zone because there that voice is getting loud so yeah I'm still working on it mm -hmm. I'm still working on it um Hmm. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm getting there. Yeah, because um, yeah. I've got to do this right. Yeah, I know. What and is I, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I. I think to look. You know, without it turning into a counselling session, and we. I don't know when how much time you've got. I've been watching the newsreader lately on ABC, which is a. Um, for any people who may be listening overseas, is an Australian series about a newsreader. Uh, in the 1980s and that was the period when I was working in television and it is really getting me to examine a lot of the scars I have from that time about how I was treated um, I don't know if you've seen it but there's a the, the chief of staff is this producer for the program is a really angry man who yells all the time like screams and I worked with a lot of really angry men who would, and very judgmental, um, you know, racist, sexist, you name it, all of them. And, and I also worked with some fantastic people, but I think as a pretty sensitive person that really, at a formative time in my life, that really shaped me. And I've still got some undoing to do around that. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, I think that's why it's good that I'm having this time now because not only am I processing grief and, you know, being really tied up with the logistics of settling dad's estate, it's actually allowed space for some of this stuff to come up and it needed space. So, yeah, you've got to do the work to do the work, haven't you? Yeah, that's that's true. I haven't got to the news ready yet, so it's on the, on the list yeah. to watch. Uh, it, it sounds like it might also be 
comparable with Utopia, which is another ABC series, which I think has a different name overseas. So if you're looking for it, but it's about a um, fictional public service department. And I used to watch that and just think to myself, they either have really good writers or really good informants because I've sat in the the, the non-satirical version of that meeting and unfortunately, it kind of went effectively the same way as that meeting has gone. And I just scratch my head and go, how how does that, you know, art imitating life thing happen? Because it's just mm. so close to the mark. And and sometimes it's just like, okay, well, how what am I doing with that? How am I processing that? What am I working on as a result of that as well? There we go. Uh, Nearly at time. What else did you want to talk about today, Liz? I don't know. We've covered a lot. Um, I don't know. I mean, I love coaching. I was talking to another uh, coach recently and I said, I kind of fall a bit in love with each of my clients. It really is a huge privilege and a very humbling one to see people with their layers stripped back um, and to work at that that deeper level with people. Uh, but I think the thing that I'd, I, people go into it for that, but what they don't realise is that coaching, to be a coach, unless you get snare a gig as an internal coach, and there's not a lot of those around at the moment, let's hope that area grows. Um, it is about running a business and that in itself is a personal development journey. And I'm sad that a lot of coaches find it too hard doing that because all of that stuff, all of that inner critic stuff about putting yourself out there and your identity is out there that you project all comes up when you start your own business. And I think that's something that we underestimate People go into it for the great, all the great reasons, forgetting that you're actually also running a business. Um, I don't know if you found that. Yeah, that's that's been a big challenge as well, and you know, making sure you get good advisors around you is an important part of that. Um, you know, I think you know, something that I've been working on is even though I'm you know, not established as a company. Uh, building myself a bit of a board of directors anyway. So someone who's good with you know, legal, someone who's good with finance, someone yeah. who's good with HR, someone who's good with strategy, someone who's just good for the soul. Uh, you know, he's going to listen to you when you need to. Having my own coach at, at various yeah. points has been incredibly useful, even though sometimes I sit there and go, don't don't use that technique on me. I know where that's going. You're going to make me say something out loud and commit to doing it and put a nice action in place and change the way I view it. And all these great excuses that I've built up mentally aren't going to be worth anything anymore. Uh, but I think that's that's been really helpful as well because, like like you, I imagine I didn't get into coaching to run a business. I got into coaching to coach. Yeah. It's just that it's the business bit that needs to be there yeah. either as well. And I th- yeah, I think it's a hard one. Um, I think for me, because I've worked freelance for a long time, I had some skills in place, but yeah, it's, 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 that is part of it. And outsourcing, 
you know, when you're first starting, you think, oh, I don't, you don't want to spend money, but I've got a bookkeeper, I've got a VA, I've got, and without them, I couldn't keep my business going. Yeah, yeah. I read in, I think it's the four-hour work week by Tim Ferriss, he said, uh, work out what your ability to earn hourly rate is and anything you can pay someone less than that to do that you're not good at, go and do that, which I think is, it's not always applied by me, but it's a good way to think of it. And then, you know, even I'm applying that with renovations here. It's like, well, I can paint the wall or I can hire a painter who's got all the gear, is good at it, is going to do a good job, is going to finish it nicely. And I can go and do what I'm good at. And, you know, that money will just go to the painter, but at you know, I'll get to do something I enjoy and the painter will get to do their their thing and both jobs will get done and the world will be a better place as a result of and I won't, you know, cook my shoulder or my back or my neck or something and sit there looking at the wall going, I really didn't get that part done right, did I? I should <laughs> just pay someone to take care of that stuff. So it's sort of the the painting at the moment is the analogy we're using at home around is this something I should do or is this something, you know, a professional, another professional should do? Mm, nice. Wonderful. Nice. How do people get in touch with you, Liz? Oh, they know more about circle work or coaching or? Well, you know, I'm on all the usual suspects, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, Instagram. I haven't been doing a lot on all of them yet. A lot recently, sorry. I have been in the past, not a lot recently. Um and my website, listillycoaching.com.au. Um, look me up. Twenty, you can get a, you know, like most coaches, you can do a free chat with me for twenty-five minutes, exploration session. Um, yeah, I'd love to work with women who are ready to work in that deeper way, and with the support of other women. Let's mm. let's join hands and form a circle. Sounds magnificent. I'll drop all those links into notes and and on the web pages and stuff as well. But thanks for joining me today. I've really enjoyed getting to hear more about what you're doing and what's filling your cup and some of the challenges you've faced. And, you know, I'm really pleased that you've, you had the realization that you had, even though it was in quite trying circumstances, obviously, and that you've been able to stop stuffing around and go and achieve all the great things that you've achieved. Well, thank you, Brendan. I've really enjoyed the chat. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for today's conversation with Liz. Lots of great things in there, and I particularly liked hearing about the uh, need to stop stuffing around and just get on with things. I think that is something I'll be reflecting on a lot. Uh, Keen to hear what your reflections are, but so drop a comment on uh, the Facebook group, the Coaching Conversations podcast Facebook group, or by checking out the Asking Great Questions group if you want to join a group of coaches who are there to talk about coaching and support coaches in all ways they can. And also, you know, drop me a line on LinkedIn if you'd like to connect with me or Liz. All her details are in the show notes. Thanks for listening and talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Coach Conversations podcast. To find out when new conversations are available, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. Please rate, review, share and comment as it helps in more ways than you can imagine. And if you'd like to join me for a coach conversation, please email Brendan, B-R-E-N-D-O-N, at coachconversations.com.au. Thanks again for listening.